Welcome to the Free Birth Podcast, a supportive space for people who are learning, exploring, and celebrating their autonomous choices in childbirth. Together, we'll unpack truths, share personal stories, and claim our ability to birth freely and intuitively. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. Welcome, welcome to our first VBAC show. Today we have Diana from Seattle, Washington with a true story of victory. Diana shares how her emergency C-section was caused by the interventions she received in her birthing experience. Diana says, I'd like people to know about how the cascade of interventions caused an emergency C-section. The cascade being anesthesia to then Pitocin, then the Pitocin causing heart D-cells, and therefore causing an emergency, and of course, then needing a surgical birth to save the baby. When Diana found herself pregnant again, she knew that she needed to do everything she could to have a vaginal birth with her second, which was beautifully accomplished at home on her own terms in the bed where her child was conceived. This is a true tale of overcoming fear and learning to trust in one's ability to birth vaginally and naturally after a surgical birth. This is a healing and triumphant story. I found out that I was pregnant when um, my husband and I were engaged and we were planning uh, a wedding actually at Burning Man. <laughs> so awesome. I found out, yeah, it was very, very fun, but not definitely not a planned pregnancy. Um, we slept in a big van, like picture like a, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like a big van that just like we threw down a mattress in the back and that's where we slept. And we were part mm-hmm. of a camp of like 15 other people. So Nice. It, it, it definitely isn't something I would have chosen to do pregnant, <laughs> but, but we were completely committed because we, right. were getting, we were getting married and we had, you know, all the, all these plans. And so it, it, I went and it was fine and my baby was fine. And, you know, it was a, a very interesting start to the pregnancy. I'd say. Totally. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you, you got married out there. Yeah, we got married out there. Um, I, I've always been, um, very, very interested in birth for some reason, even though this was not a planned pregnancy. Um, you know, I don't even think we had really talked about having babies yet. Um, and I certainly wasn't really planning on being a mother anytime soon, but I, I've always been really interested in birth. Um, I've always loved to read birth stories and I've always been um, really appreciative of the midwifery model of care as opposed to a more traditional um, medical model to handle pregnancy and childbirth. It just always made a lot of sense to me to to birth in the company of women and the um, original the original tradition. Precisely, yeah. And I don't <laughs> yeah. I don't really know where I got that idea. You know, I come from a pretty traditional family, and I was you know born in a hospital, and my mom had drugs and all those things. And so I don't really know where I got that. Um, but I, I knew when I found out I was pregnant that I definitely wanted to birth at home, no question. There was no way I wanted to be in a hospital. And um, I had no idea how my husband would take it, but to his credit, he said, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Of course you'd want to nice. be at home. Yeah, God bless him. So so that's the birth that we planned. We got home from Burning Man. I got um, found a midwife uh, locally here in Seattle who was great, a practice of two midwives, and proceeded to have a very – uneventful, healthy pregnancy. Um, my baby was due 
what was it, the very end of February, and um, nothing was unusual about the, the, his pregnancy until I would say the very, very end, the weeks leading up to his birth, right around 39 weeks or so, I started to feel really, really, really uncomfortable, like really, like walking was hard and all of my internal organs just felt totally smashed. But, you know, I thought, well, this is probably what every pregnant woman feels like at the end of pregnancy. Right. I mean, it's, it's, there's like a lot of baby in there. Um, mm-hmm. And I had the feeling that he was not a tiny baby. My husband and I are petite people. We're not very big people, but he kind of felt like, I don't know, maybe this is a bigger baby, but again, I just didn't really know that your first time, you just don't really know what it feels like. Everything's so new. So um, I reached my due date and then another week passed and I ended up not going into labor until 41 weeks and three days. And that was definitely the longest week of my life. But yeah, yeah. (laughs) but once labor really started, um, I was super excited. I was so happy. I really didn't have any fear. I really, this was an experience that I wanted to have. And even as I was in some pain and discomfort, as contractions were getting stronger and stronger and more closer together and a little harder to manage, I I still felt very present with the experience. Like this is really what I want to have. So my labor started on a Thursday morning and kind of petered out midday. And then in the afternoon um, became stronger and became a, a active labor pattern. And so I think it was around 8 PM that night or so we called the doula and we called the midwife and we filled up a birth pool and um, both of them came over. And I think I, my, my doula and my midwife were pretty hands off. They kind of just like let me labor. Um, I labored all night in the tub and that was really kind of the only place that I felt like I could cope with the sensations that I was feeling. Anytime I would get out or try to change positions, it was just my body was like, nope, this is where you got to be. So I labored there all night. Um, I it, Around, it's so funny to describe a birth story because you know how like time gets warped when you're in labor and you're like, I don't know how long I did this or how long I did that, your perception of, of time yeah, really mm-hmm. gets, gets warped. So I, I try to do the best to, to stick to a timeline, but that can be challenging. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so sometime in the morning, around probably around 9 a.m., where at which point I would have been in labor for about a day and a half, I'd say, um, I was fully dilated, according to my midwife, but there was something weird about um, – what I thought was my son's position, I could feel him really, really high up, like right underneath my ribs. He never descended into my pelvis at all. And I can Mm. tell you now, now that I've gone on to have um, an unmedicated home birth, I know (laughs) exactly what that feels like. It's a very distinct feeling. And I never felt it with my firstborn son. So you, you reached full dilation though? I did. Yeah. And he just didn't descend. He didn't, he was head down. Um, I think that his head, like, was putting some pressure on my cervix because I I don't think I would have dilated completely if if that hadn't been the case. That's just what I think. Mm-hmm. But he was he was I could tell he was kind of off to a strange angle and just something it was I didn't know what it was. I w- I would find out later what it was, but something was off about it. And um at a certain point my midwife started talking to me 
about, you know, what did I think was stalling my labor and did I feel like I needed to transfer to the hospital? And I had never even really thought of transferring until she said that. Um, Mm. But when she said that and she asked me that question, I, and I I should also say that that was really my greatest fear. I, I went into this labor. I was not afraid of, afraid of pain. I was not afraid of something bad happening to myself or my baby from being at home. I really, really trusted birth. I really did. Um, but my one fear was I did not want to end up at a hospital. I really didn't want that. Sure. So, when she, so it was strange. When she asked me that, I kind of checked in with my gut, and my gut was telling me that I thought, <clears throat> excuse me, that something probably needed to change to get him out. And I didn't know what that was, but I I agreed at that point to transfer to a hospital. And I I also like to tell this part of the story because I think that it illustrates how safe home birth really is. You know, you we had had a plan in place, had something, you know, of dire importance happen during the labor. We, you know, had a transfer plan that, that would be a safety net if we really needed it. And um, so we proceeded going to the hospital where we had talked about we were transferred. We had to. And um, when I got there, um, I kind of was in a, a, a bit of a survival mode where I knew I had to change something to get my baby out. I was in a lot of pain. And I felt not so much fear, but more like a, a real deep sense of grief and sadness because I could feel the moment that I walked into the hospital, so much of my autonomy was taken away. And you immediately sign papers that you cannot possibly read. And they immediately gave me drugs to um, dull my pain. Um, Do you know what they gave you? I'm not even, no, I'm not even sure. I don't even remember consenting, to be honest with you. I remember getting in there and things being done to me. And, And I should say that I don't think that, anyone there had any ill intent or that no, like, it's just I was, what they do. It's exactly. It's just what they do. If you go to a hospital, you're going to receive certain things. And so you're on their, on their turf. I wanted <laughs> to ask, ask you, did you in your pregnancy ever go to that transfer hospital and meet with your backup doctor or do a tour? Or like, did, did you kind of know that that was going to happen or what was your relationship to the hospital prior? That's a great, great question. I had no relationship to the, to the hospital prior. I simply uh, did a little bit of research about the um, my options, and the, the particular hospital that I choose was one where in their labor and delivery floor, they do things like they don't continually staff an OR room. So, And they're kind of like a smaller community hospital, and they have a much lower C-section rate, I guess is what I'm saying. Nice. I, I, okay. I liked, I liked their, their stats and I, they were also very close. Um, the other option would be a really, really large teaching hospital close mm. by. And that just sounded no. Exactly. Exactly. So it, I, I hadn't met with anyone or toured it, but it just sort of seemed like the most, um, the best choice. Oh, and also my midwife did have relationships with the nurses there and, and the staff kind of knew her. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was the energy like when they received you? Was it positive, like from the staff, or was it really dramatic? Was it negative? It was. It was not really dramatic because I wasn't really in an emergency situation. My baby was healthy. I was a woman in full-blown active labor. Um, but 
it was a little bit kind of like I was a number, you know, I mean, nobody there knew me, nobody there, they had my, my medical records. So they knew that, you know, I had received medical care during my pregnancy, but it was a little sterile. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said, I'm real grateful that no one was openly hostile to me because I have heard from women that transfer from a home birth situation that, you know, doctors and nurses can be a little bit antagonistic towards them. Oh, I mean, there's, I've been to hospital, I've been to transfers in Los Angeles where they write on the whiteboard in the room, oh. fail. Oh my God. That, yeah. that, so, that makes me so sad to hear. I mean, I'll just go wipe it off. But of course, there's plenty of women who are not birthing with a support who would just go wipe it off the room. So they're birthing in a room that literally says on the wall, home birth fail. Wow. So, and that has to be a, a, a more chill staff. Yeah, they were, they were. You know, it was it was definitely a stare. I, I was like a thing. You know, I didn't really feel like a person, but no one was mean to me, and I appreciate uh, that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so you get there, things are happening to you. You're given some narcotic that to help relieve the pain. Yeah, they. I'm. I have um, external monitors put on me. I have an internal monitor put in on his scalp. They um, artificially. Wait, you had the you had the fetal internal monitor. Yeah, they artificially. They, they ruptured, they, yeah, they, they, they ruptured my waters and then they put that on and then. Not a uterine monitor. It was the, the one. Fetal. The fetal monitor that they put on the scalp of the baby. That screws in. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I've never yeah. seen that. Was there a concern for the baby that, that made them do that? Not that it was communicated to me. I think that they were having a hard time getting the right uh, fetal heart tones. That totally, they yeah, the, that's why from they the, do it. From the external, yeah. Mm-hmm. So so I just, like, got the whole shebang of, wow, yeah. you know, everything that I that I really didn't want. And I, I, I hope that I'm not communicating this in a way that, 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 that seems to say that, you know, I was helpless and I had terrible things done to me. I mean, I really don't fault anyone. I mean, I was, I chose to go there and I'm grateful that, the experience was as positive as it could have been under the circumstances, but it was definitely negative. It was definitely not ideal. And when you're going into your labor and having put time in your labor, expecting a certain form of care that revolves around informed consent and mother-led birth right. and all of this stuff, when you go into a model that, I mean, is inherently traumatic to have stuff done to your physical body not being explained and that's incredibly invasive and that, you're, you know, does have a level of, like you said, survival, adrenaline, you know, savior kind of energy. It's, it's scary. Absolutely. I, I, you're absolutely right. Yeah. You just go into this space in your head where you have to survive it. And, you know, I often wonder if we took any other birthing mammal, like a cat, and we did to a birthing mama cat what we do to, to birthing women, human women, um, you know, in a hospital setting just routinely, I mean, what would we see happen to the complications that they had or, or like a surgical birth rate? I mean, it just kind of blows my mind that, that, that it ever really works well in that setting. I mean, yeah, exactly. (laughs) We we would probably see very similar results that we see with, with human mammals, you know, a high need for intervention, a lot of labors that stall or stop and a high need for surgical birth because we're backing the mammals into a corner where their hormones, you know, are telling them they're not safe. And, you know, it's, it's, yeah, we, I'm sure we would probably see the same stuff. Okay. So, so you, you have some, all this stuff happening to you, your full dilation, 
babies got internal monitoring, what happens next? What happens next very, very quickly, you know, I was only, we're talking about within a half hour to 45 minutes of my being there very, very quickly. They, um, Oh, I, I, relevant. They also gave me Pitocin, which, which in retrospect is so strange because I was totally in total full-blown active labor. There was no problem with that. I, I don't know if that's just standard practice that totally that it's happens. completely routine. What, what, uh, so that's you, it then. The only request that I would, the only thing I would wonder is, were you still contracting regularly? I was contracting regularly, yeah. But when they gave me some pain medication, it did affect the um, the pattern of the labor. So I, I was still having contractions, but I, they spaced out a little bit at that point. And you know, their 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 side is like, let's get her two three minutes apart because of an intense aggressive uterus is going to bring the baby down. That's like their thinking, mm-hmm. you know. But of course, that can be also really stressful to the child. Well, and that's a perfect segue into what happened next was that after the Pitocin was given, after a very, very short amount of time on the Pitocin, my son started having some heart decelerations or a pattern in his heart heart rate that they didn't want to see. And at that point, it was an immediate C-section. And wow. I should tell you, my, my doula was with me this whole time and my husband, and um I just turned and looked at them, and I looked at the doctor and said, can we please have five minutes and talk about this? And they said, nope, you cannot. Ugh. And I was immediately separated from my doula and my husband and mm. wheeled away. And I have to also say, one of the one of the best things about doulas that I don't know if people always think about is that, like, in a situation like that, I was so grateful. This is This was a moment of grace in this whole experience that – she was able to be with my husband and mm-hmm. not leave him all alone. And I'm sure that I wasn't with them, but I'm sure that she talked him through, you know, like what he was going to see and what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And she was totally a support for him too. And it was such a blessing to have her there. So that, that was really a, a moment of grace in this whole, this whole experience. Absolutely. They support the whole family. They really Absolutely. do. Oh, they really do. I'm, I'm so grateful that she was there. So I've definitely, I've definitely been to, more births than I could count where I felt like I, I left the birth realizing I was only there to support the partner yeah. <laughs> and that the mom, mm-hmm. you know, the mom was fine, but it was the partner yeah. that I really doula the whole time. Yeah. And that's, that's so important. That's, that's a wonderful service to give to a couple. Really and your is. midwife, your midwife bounced? She stayed for, she stayed for as long as she could. She stayed for probably, probably about an hour um, but you know, she had been up over 24 hours with me at that point, or at least at my house at that point. And also, you know, she was in a hospital where she had no, you know, privileges or rights. And, and she was very, I have no complaints with her at all. She was very kind, very respectful. I could tell she didn't really want to leave until I felt like kind of settled. how did you for, feel about her, her leaving? I felt like I felt okay with it. You know, I, in both of my births, I, I never, some women describe having like a real mystical close bond with their midwives. For me in both circumstances, the work of birth is just so much work that like they're kind of off to the side. I I never really had like a super, super close bond with, with the women attending my birth. You know, mm-hmm. it's more, it felt a little bit more like a formality that they were here and, and yes, they can provide 
you know, medical care and also some really good suggestions. But I didn't, I definitely didn't feel abandoned. I felt like she needed to go rest because she had been, you know, through a very, very, very long labor with me too. And, and we're actually, we're still friends. She's a good person. So nice. And you still yeah. have your doula. I mean, it is, I'm asking because it is standard for midwives and transfers. You know, most midwives I've ever intersected with, they, you know, give the doctor or hospital midwife the down low and then they, they leave. And mm-hmm. it's, something personally that I take issue with. Um, and that's not to say that it's wrong. It, you know, it's, it's, it's just my personal as a doula. I've always felt like they, it's very rare that I hear of a midwife telling the mom, Hey, if we transfer, I'm going to leave. And so I've been with mm-hmm. a lot of moms who, I don't know if they'd go as extreme as saying abandoned, but um, it's, it's, to me, I've always found it, and I'm glad that wasn't your experience. I've always found it weird that parents pay midwives, you know, to be with them. And then the second they transfer, which for many, many, many home birth transfers winds up being very traumatic, the midwife's not there to bear witness to it and then therefore healthy brief. And, you know, if these people don't have doulas, it's always just felt like a gap in care to me. Um, it is. I, that is an extremely valid perspective and I, I totally agree with you. And I, it's, uh, that's why part, at least part of the reason why I think that women who are home birth transfer, um, birth women have kind of a unique trauma in a way that, that doesn't mm-hmm. kind of need to be addressed because there is a, a definitely a gap in the continuum of care. It can be very, very scary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my experience was quite traumatic, but the abandonment part wasn't really there for me, but I, I absolutely see that perspective too. And, yeah. and you had a great doula and a great partner. And I did. It, I mean, this trauma of your story doesn't seem like it's to do with the midwife on, you know, no, it wasn't. So no. you get with, you get whisked away, not giving you time to really wrap your head around it with your family. Right. They didn't even really tell me anything. They just said, the baby's heart rate is doing scary things. We need to get him out right now. You're getting a reaction. Oh, and that's scary. it. I, it, was, it was a horrible experience. Um, I wish, to be honest with you, it's, this is a very sad thing to, to say about your child's birth, but I wish I didn't remember it. It was, it was horrible. I, I, I was given an epidural and I was, you know, numbed from the chest down, but, um, having a surgery like that when you're awake is so, I don't even have words for it. It's like, um, it's like spiritually traumatic. It was like, it it was, I could feel everything that they were doing. I felt myself separate from my body. I felt I mean, I don't even have words for how traumatic it was. It was a horrific experience, and it would have been better if I had not even seen my my son's, you know, his the, my, the, him out for the first time. And I know that not all women feel that way about their C sections, and that's awesome. You know, I, I I felt like it was just so traumatic. I could feel what they were doing. I felt my organs being moved out of my body. Uh. I could I could I could hear them talking. I saw blood. It was just you know, I don't want to get too graphic and scary, but it was, it was a terrible, it was a terrible thing to go through, but it it did happen very quickly. And, um, they pulled him out and I, was your husband in the OR? Yeah. He made it in on time. He, both he and my doula, um, sat by my head and they were so, they're so, uh, that's another moment of grace that when I think about my experience, it's just so beautiful because 
they, I remember just looking up and seeing four pairs of beautiful brown eyes. My husband has these gorgeous brown eyes and my doula had the most beautiful brown eyes too. And they were just looking at me and I could tell they were trying to communicate like, we're here. We love you. You're safe. Mm -hmm. Even though I wasn't really safe, I, I felt very supported by them in that moment. And that was really beautiful. It was really beautiful. So very quickly, my baby is out. They they whisk him away. I can see like a tuft of thick black hair, and um, I hear him cry. And I and I look over to the side, and I hear the um, uh, the perinatologist or whoever the doctor is that takes the baby weighs him, and he goes, "He's twelve pounds three ounces." Wow. And I and I go, uh, "No, <laughs> like that's wrong." Like I I I think I actually audibly said no, <laughs> like. That's not possible. Like, I'm, you know, I'm a small person. My husband's, like, 5'9". Um, you know, I, I'm a vegan. <laughs> like, there's no way I could grow a 12-pound baby. Like, it's just not possible. Wow. But I, they, they brought him over, and I, and I got a better look at him. And he was huge. Wow. So big. He was so, so big. He was definitely 12 pounds. Did your midwife ever, when palpating, ever you know, think, oh, wow, this feels like a bigger baby? I, no, she she never said anything to me about that, that I recall. I do remember there was one, and, you know, I should also mention, I know that ultrasounds are a terrible measure for um, determining size, but I did have, like, the standard 20-week ultrasound, and, you know, obviously we did the fundal height measurements um, at every appointment, and I don't ever remember anyone saying to me, wow, it looks like you have a really big baby. And so, yeah, well, that goes a, to show that ultrasounds are totally, they don't work. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Estimations yeah. that aren't even necessarily based in, yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a total, total shock. It was a total wow. shock to me. I think it was a shock to everyone. Um, you know, my, during the pregnancy, I think I gained like 20 pounds. So my, yeah. my weight gain didn't, didn't, you know, like correlate with, with anything that would be of concern. It was just a shock. It was a whole shock. And I have to tell you. You didn't have gestational diabetes or. Nope. No, I was, I was screened for gestational diabetes and I did not have it. And, uh, you know, at the hospital, when they saw that he was that big, one of the first things that I think that they did on him was blood sugar testing because Mm -hmm. they were obviously concerned and he was fine. He didn't, neither one of us had gestational diabetes. He just was a very, very big baby. Yeah. And you know, um, he still is. He's four years old now, and he's bigger than all his peers. He's mm-hmm. super tall. He wears, you know, the clothing of, like, a five- or six-year-old. He's just <laughs> a very large person. And and so, you know, it, I think that, that – I, I think this. You know, no matter how he was going to be born, I think it would have been a bit traumatic for my body. You know, I don't like to say that I had a C-section because I had a 12-pound baby because I know – there are women that birth right. ton babies. I mean, that can happen. And mm-hmm. I I don't really know if I would have, you know, really pushed through if, if it would have worked out for me um, to have him vaginally at home. I, I just feel like the way that it happened was part of our story and um, has given me perhaps a perspective that I, you know, wouldn't otherwise have. And, um, his birth was going to be difficult no matter what. That's what yeah, I mean. and it sounds like he was malpositioned, <laughs> yeah. you know, kind of regardless of size or because of the size. Who knows? He was already malpositioned. So, yeah, um, you know, yeah, so something probably would have needed to happen. Yeah. Yeah, so that's 
that's my that's the story of my so what, first son's birth. What was your postpartum experience like in the the processing of such a intense story? It was very hard. Um, I you know in retrospect, I had um, some PTSD. I was definitely a little bit depressed for a long time, and I wish that I had done some work around that, but. You know, when you're a brand new mom, I was really just like any other brand new mom trying to figure out what being a mom is like and learning to breastfeed and breastfeed was or breastfeeding was extremely challenging for at least the first three months of his life. And I, I know it was because of the trauma. My body like remembered the trauma mm-hmm. and, and was just my poor, my poor body just was trying its best, you know, to do what it needed to do but it really affected me deeply and so I had a very difficult postpartum time um I think that the hardest part I mean fortunately I healed physically very well like in terms of the surgery I healed very well and that that's that is wonderful but um it felt like a real spiritual shattering like I it shattered everything that I believed I mean like I told you before I went into this birth really with no fear I really trusted that mm. women's bodies, you know, if we leave our bodies alone, we can birth. And and I certainly was humbled by this experience. I certainly had my worldview shattered quite a lot. And, you know, of course, you do all the things where you wonder, like, could I have done anything differently? Did I do something wrong? Um, so I there were a lot of emotions. It was very, a very, very hard time. Definitely a very hard time. So um, as you can imagine, <laughs> uh I was definitely not planning on having another baby because that Mm. experience was so shattering for me. Um, And I also knew enough about the culture of birth in the state where I live and and I guess in the U.S. in general that once you have a surgical birth, you're treated differently by um, hospital staff if you are allowed to, I'm using air quotes, try Mm -hmm. for a vaginal birth. They they even have a term for it that I really hate, which is called oh. a trial trial of labor, which is so I know, a tolac. It's so, yeah, it's so a offensive. It's yeah. so offensive. Bringing, bringing VBAC or, you know, VBAC attempting moms into the hospital and, and calling them a tolac right in front mm-hmm. of their face. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to ask real quick with Washington, sure. what is the VBAC um, kind of consensus? Is it easy to, is are, are the midwives allowed to attend VBAC? Is it? Um, what's, what's like the, the deal there? I can tell you. So, um, women are allowed to attempt for a VBAC in a hospital with an obstetrician, not with a, not with a midwife. And fortunately I am finding, um, you know, through other women that I've connected with through our local ICANN group that, um, there are a lot of doctors in our, in our area that practice in hospitals here in Seattle that are very VBAC friendly. And that hasn't always been the case, but it's recently been changing a lot. And that's really wonderful to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, women who have had a C-section are not, it's against the law for us to have a, a birth center birth. We're not allowed to mm. do that. Um, and then as far as home birth midwives, it, it, it exists in a completely legal gray zone. As I understand it, it's, it's very strange. So most home birth midwives will not attend um, VBAC clients. However, there are some that feel really passionately about um, that women should have that option that will attend us at home. But they don't advertise it because 
as I understand it, it's not technically illegal, but they're not really supposed to do it. Like their insurance doesn't cover it or something like that. Okay. So they will, you, and, and this kind of will get into a little bit of the story of my, my second um, pregnancy and birth. Um, there are, you can get connected with <laughs> like an underground <laughs> uh, group of women that, you know, really believe passionately in um working at home and getting the chance to have a, a VBAC at home who maintain like a list of mm-hmm. local home birth midwives that were Good. Yeah. So, so I got my, and how, back. how old was your first kid when you got pregnant with your second son? He was two years old when I got okay. pregnant with my second son. And, um, you know, like I told you, we, we were not planning on having another baby because I just could not imagine you know, going through, I couldn't, first of all, I couldn't imagine stepping foot in a hospital at all again. I mean, that was just, birthing there I knew would be a disaster. I knew that I, I, if I, if I went into a hospital with my second baby, I would have another C-section. I knew it. Um, well, and it's like so crazy to expect a person who was traumatized in a place to return to that place of trauma which yeah. is going to subconsciously trigger t- the trauma again and then expect a different experience. You know, like that's just not how like the exactly. basics work. Yes, exactly, exactly. So so when my son was two and I became unexpectedly pregnant again, um, birth control just does not seem to work for us. <laughs> so I was terrified. I think I spent like a week crying. I was so upset. I, I just... It, and it wasn't that I didn't have love in my heart for another baby, but it was just that I couldn't imagine. I was scared. I didn't know what my options were. Um, I didn't know if I would even be able to find a midwife um, to, to see me again. I knew I couldn't set foot in the hospital. I just felt very, very trapped and very scared. How did you feel about knowing that the hospital was out for you? How did you feel about, you know, attempting or or having a home birth with your last, given your last story? Um, I was afraid of having another big baby for sure. But, but in terms of like, you know, some of the common things people talk about, like uterine rupture, I, I didn't, I didn't think that my, that the C-section itself was a cause of concern. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just kind of knew what the science, you know, tells us about that. You know, there's a great website called vbacksacks.org that, that will ease your fears, you know, if you're afraid that you've had a C-section and that makes you not a very good candidate for a vaginal mm-hmm. birth. There's lots of really good information out there. Um, so, so it wasn't the prior surgery itself that scared me, but I was, I was nervous I was going to have another really, really big baby and a challenging um, labor experience because of that, but not because, mm-hmm. not because of me inherently or not because of the surgery. Mm-hmm. So... <clears throat> So I, I remembered, I, I, you know, in the midst of all this fear and, you know, terror and, and, you know, uncertainty and not knowing what I was going to do to get this baby Earthside, I suddenly had a memory. And this is why I really love to share my story because I hope that I provide this for somebody else. So I, I had this memory that I had been in a prenatal, prenatal yoga class with my first baby and our yoga teacher had somehow, in a very gracious way, without scaring all of us pregnant women, she had shared her birth stories. And she had two babies, and the first baby was an emergency C-section. 
I think it was like a, a like a true emergency, like a placenta a placenta issue, like something really really serious. Um, and her second baby was born at home with midwives. And I remember she shared the story very sweetly and casually in class. And I remember thinking, wow, what incredible courage that she did that. Like, wow, that must, what an incredible woman. And of course I thought that's never going to happen to me. Of course. I mean, I would never find myself in that position because I'm not going to have a C-section, but wow, that's really phenomenal that she accomplished that. And so I remembered, I remembered, wow, someone shared their story that they actually had a home birth and a beautiful birth too. After a very, very challenging one that didn't look at all like what she wanted it to look like. So I remembered that. And then I also remembered that I had her email. (laughs) So I emailed my former yoga, uh, prenatal yoga teacher, and I introduced myself. I said, you probably don't remember me, but uh, here's the situation that I'm in. And I remember that you shared the story of your children's birth. And I find myself in a very similar situation. And can you give me any guidance? And she actually remembered who I was and wrote me back immediately. Awesome. She was so gracious and so awesome. And she said, get in touch with your local ICANN group right away. They will help you out. They will support you if you need another C-section. They will answer your questions. They will get you a list of midwives that will see you, like, get in touch with them right away. So that's what I did. Um, and through that group, I just I just can't recommend ICANN enough. They, they're just incredible. Um, and I believe that there's a chapter in every single major city in the U.S. Um, so through that group, I got a list of local midwives that were known to currently be taking VBAC clients for their home birth practice. And I just went down the list and I called every single one. And as it turned out, there was only one on that list that was, that was reasonably close to me that would, that would accept me as a client. Um, Mm. It turns out that, that the practice that I ended up seeing, they only take like one a month because one client or one VBAC? One VBAC, specifically just one VBAC client a month, and it just mm-hmm. so happened that, that they agreed to take me. The so. stars aligned. The stars aligned, yeah. <clears throat> so I I was like, okay, now the <laughs> the real work really started there because I really had to find the courage to, to do this again. And I, I really hadn't, you know, in retrospect, it would have been real smart if after my first son's birth I – received some therapy or some counseling or, or, you know, did perhaps some spiritual healing work around his birth, but I really hadn't. And now I found myself in a place where, you know, the universe was really forcing me to confront um, what that experience was like. And and yeah, it's on on now. (laughs) It's on now. Yeah. It was on in a very, very, very big way. And I had to really, you know, I had to really, really take responsibility for this birth. I mean, really take responsibility for it on all levels. I think that if I had had a very simple, straightforward first birth, that would have been incredible and awesome. But um, I would have been maybe just a little cocky. I would have just been, um, I would have approached the second birth very, very differently. And I'm, it was an incredible time of, make um really listening to my intuition really making sure that i was being honest with hearing my own inner voice as to what is the best way to bring this baby into the world as opposed to what am i fearful of and 
um, am I making decisions based out of fear or am I Mm -hmm. making decisions based out of what, what I know intuitively is best? I mean, that's, that's about the deepest wisdom right there is to be able to identify, are these decisions out of intuition and truth or out of fear? Exactly. I'm so glad you were able to connect to that. Exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, I had to. And, you know, the, the answer, I, I thought many, many times, you know, do I, I thought if I end up with another very, very large baby in a very challenging labor and I have another emergency C-section with strangers, um, that would shatter me. Like, I did not think that I could come back from that experience going through that again. So I had to really be clear, Diana, is this really the right way to bring your baby into the, into the world to have another home birth, or do you go to the hospital, and would that be the right choice? You know, I had to be really, really clear, and the answer I kept getting was to trust that you can do this, that you can have your baby at home, and that this is going to be a different experience and it's a different baby. Mm-hmm. And so I trusted that. I trusted that. And I um, did a lot of work. I practiced a lot of yoga. I practiced a lot of meditation. I prayed a lot. I talked to the baby a lot and I tried to really, really listen to him and get a sense of who he was. And he, he was always the presence that, that really gave me a lot of peace and reassurance. So um, as you can imagine, this time during the pregnancy, we were all keeping a very close eye on the baby's size as much as Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. And, you know, once again, like, I, I'm really not a fan of ultrasounds, but I did have two during the pregnancy, and they both showed a very average-sized baby. And again, I didn't really know if I should trust it or not, but uh, that's what it showed. And, you know, the, I would always ask the midwives when they palpated my belly, you know, what do you think about his size? That, and the answer was always, he seemed like a very average sized baby. And I could tell too, once I got to the very end of my pregnancy, that um, I could feel he was smaller. And, you know, because now I, I had the experience of carrying a really big baby and what that felt like. And this time it felt different. He felt, he didn't feel as big. I, I don't think I got as big. <clears throat> he just felt he felt like a smaller baby to me. And um, and I remember at the very, very end of my pregnancy on my due date, right at my 40-week um, appointment with my midwife, um, I left the appointment. Everything was normal, great, fine. I walked home. I you know had all my home birth supplies. I was ready to go into labor any day. And I just had this amazing, otherworldly chill go up my spine as I was walking out of the office that it was a strong, strong knowing that this is going to work. You're going to have your baby. You're going to have this experience mm, I just got that you wanted. It was incredible. And, you know, I, I want to be careful because I don't want to imply um, that, you know, the way that I wanted to birth is the way that all women should birth or should want to birth. But just for me personally, I I so wanted to be fully present for the birth of my son. I wanted to feel what it felt like to push him out of my body. I wanted to not be anesthetized. I didn't want any part of me to be numb or out of it or cloudy. I really, really wanted to be present. And I knew that experience would be challenging and I knew it would be painful and I knew it would be hard and I knew it would require me to um, find a strength that I that I've never had before, but I wanted that. I wanted the challenge. I wanted all of it. I really wanted to feel it. And I, I knew it was going to happen. I just had this moment where this is, 
I knew it. It was like the, God was telling me, like, get ready, Diana. This is going to work this time. Awesome. Yeah, it it was incredible. Um, so that very, very night, the night of my due date, I woke up at about 2 a.m. in the morning in full-blown labor. I mean, it was like it was like I woke up with very, very, very strong contractions, two minutes apart. It was like starting – it was like this labor started in the middle, like what the <laughs> middle part of my labor with my first son was. It was like you like shaved off the whole through part. early exactly. labor. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly, awesome. yeah. Yeah, so it was it, – it felt – like a totally different labor pattern and a different experience. Very, very hard, strong, effective, close together contraction right right at two AM just bam shot me out of bed. So I got up and I I immediately filled the bathtub because I remembered that last time that was really the only way that I could get comfortable. And I tried to, you know, let my husband sleep. Um, my son, my two-year-old son was sleeping in our, still sleeping in our um, room at that time. So I tried to, like, let them both sleep a little bit and, until I had to wake them up. And I got into the bathtub. And this time, again, the labor was just totally different. I was very uncomfortable in the bathtub. But the water made me feel like I was trapped. It didn't, it didn't actually relieve any of the sensations I was feeling. So I... It just felt totally different. It was so strange. Um, and, and I could tell that labor was moving really fast. I could tell it was just happening super, super fast. And after only about an hour of my being up, up and alone and trying to, you know, let my husband sleep and let my, my son sleep, I woke Brad up and I was like, we ought to, we ought to call my doula right now and call the midwife because I'm in labor <laughs> and this is happening so fast. And it, it, it happened fast. We called, we made the calls. Um, my husband moved my son to a different room in the house where he could hopefully sleep through the labor. And my, my midwife and my doula um, showed up about 4 a.m. So this was now two hours into labor. And I was just in it. I mean, totally in it, totally in active labor, working very, very hard. I could also, I could feel my baby was right in my pelvis. I could feel him like moving apart my pelvic bones and my hip bones were moving. Nice. I could actually feel it. It was so incredible. It was what I never felt the first time. Mm-hmm. And so I knew this was happening fast and it was incredible. And, you know, also extremely painful, very challenging. And, um, a very, but, you have, very... but you have that layer of gratitude for what you're feeling and what you're experiencing that, Seems to really, really be able to motivate women having VBACs. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, yeah, I wanted this experience like nothing else. I really, really wanted it. And you know, I, I mentioned earlier in this interview that I never had a real super warm and fuzzy relationship with my midwives, and that's definitely true. The second time around, they, they were very hands off and not really cheerleadery. <laughs> you know, they, they were never like, you can do this. They were just kind of there and I actually in retrospect when I reflect on that birth this second birth I don't see that as a bad thing because I I had this baby totally on my own I mean nobody nobody really like like my my doula was there and she tried to be supportive but I was really in my own Mm -hmm. space and it was really just me and my son really just me working this baby out and I remember 
at, at some point, like the, the, the midwife giving me a suggestion about like we tried the birth stool or she was giving me some suggestions about pushing and none of it was relevant. Nothing that anyone <laughs> said to me in labor was relevant because I was birthing this baby and no one else yeah, was you birthing had this it. baby. Yeah. It, it, so, so I liked that I didn't have like a super warm and fuzzy support because I can look back and I draw so much strength from the fact that no, nobody could really say anything to make me feel better. Like nobody could mm-hmm. take away this pain. Like it was a challenge that I went through and that I did. So, so getting back to the timeline, my, my midwives, my doula got there around 4 a.m. And I labored from for about the next four hours. And right at 8, around 8 a.m., I was sitting, I was in an upright position, sitting on my bed, probably the exact same place where he was conceived. And I, my husband was sitting behind me. This is another thing. I kind of thought that I didn't want my husband with me for some reason. I don't know why. I kind of just thought, like, before the labor that I was going to want him to be with my two-year-old son so that my son wouldn't be scared or, you know, mm-hmm. what was going on. But as it turned out, when the baby was very, very close to being born, I I, I, call, I told my, my doula, I was like, please, please go get my husband because I really want him here. Um, so my doula went down and stayed with my two-year-old son who, who stayed asleep the whole time. And my husband came up and he sat behind me and he kind of held, held me around um, my arms. Hmm. And I was sitting up in my bed, probably the exact same place where he was conceived, like I said, and my baby, I pushed him out. Nobody Hmm. touched me. Nobody did anything. He slipped right out of my body. And I felt that, um, I just think this is so cool. I kind of geek out about birth, but um, the fetal ejection reflex where Mm -hmm. you just reach a point and the baby goes and just comes right (laughs) out. He came right up onto my chest. He was, he pooped all over me or peed all over me. I can't remember one of those. (laughs) <laughs> and he was just super alert, didn't cry, looked right up into my arms. I, my, my husband immediately like kind of scooted out from behind me and he took a few pictures. And when you go back and you look at pictures of that moment, right after the baby was born, you, you would have thought that I did like a boatload of ecstasy. I mean, oh, I, am, yeah. I am glowing. Like I've never glowed like that before. And I had just, you know, been in labor for whatever it was, six hours. Um, mm-hmm. But you did it. But I did it. It, it was an incredible moment. Um, another cool thing is that I got to this time keep my placenta and consume it afterwards. And I really wanted that the first time and I didn't get to do it. But this time um, I got to see it you know it came out and they kind of showed me okay this is the anterior wall this is this is the wall where the baby was and I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. it they're was so, so beautiful. awesome they're so beautiful and it's so I don't know it's just so magical to see that organ and then to be able did to did you do pills or smoothies we encapsulated it and I I consumed it for like the first I, I slowly consumed it for the first I think two or three months postpartum mm-hmm. I had a little every day and um, I, I don't know if it's because I had a, you know, a completely unmedicated physiological birth or if it's because of the placenta or a combination of those two things. But this time breastfeeding was like a, a breeze. So easy. No problem. Nice. Super ample supply. Um, and you had done but, it. You had done it before and you weren't yeah. traumatized. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's that too. I had a little bit of experience <laughs> with it. But, yeah, it was definitely 
postpartum, everything about postpartum was a, was a much, much better experience this time. It was uh, incredible. I love VBAC so much. I love they're VBAC just, stories so they're, they're much. Just, they're yeah. the best stories because they're, they're really the level of healing that occurs, not just in the woman, but in the whole family is yes. so, even for the older kid, like there is just a level of healing that happens that kind of, you know, closes this circle of trauma and like ends it in a, in this victorious way. And it's, you just, you can't even really articulate how healing it is. You, you said it beautifully. You said it beautifully. That's exactly what it is. And that's a hard thing for me to articulate with people. I think that there were people in my life that thought that I was perhaps being quite irresponsible to birth out of a hospital um, after a C-section, but I just rolled my um, eyes so hard. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't. I, I do a lot of things that people don't agree with, and I don't, yeah, at this course. point, I don't. I do not care. <laughs> so yeah, you said it beautifully. It was so healing, and man, I just have such a huge place in my heart for other VBAC moms. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still very active in my local ICANN group, and when when I get to see, you know, hear their stories, and most of them are in the hospital, some of them are out of the hospital. It just is. I just have such a special place in my heart for those stories, too. It's incredible. It's beautiful. Mm, it's so good. It's so important for people to hear these stories. And, you know, I just I, – one of my favorite VBAC memories, she became a, a dear friend of mine afterwards, but she just for – man, it was like 35 hours or something. And she, of course, worked her ass off. And at the end, for like an hour and a half, she just – as she held her baby – she just cried. I did it. I did it. I did it. And just yeah. cried and cried and cried. And like, I'm just making me cry just thinking about it. It was, oh, just, it was just exactly that. It was the, the chance to, to know that you can do it when for whatever yeah. reason, a normal physiological vaginal birth was taken away, you know, whether it was necessary or not necessary or whatever, just this, this like closing of the gap of question, you know, of, of this, like, some level of like betrayal of your body or, or distrust. Like it, like you said, it's kind of like it's shattering. It's kind of this like broken thing in your psychology that really makes you wonder like, but I can do it. Right. Even if right. the circumstances, you know, this time didn't allow, I can do it. And to, right. to know and have that experience and feel your baby slip through your canal and to getting all that, just the safety of what birth can provide, especially after trauma. It's just, Oh, it's so beautiful. It, it is beautiful, and it's really, really important, too, because, you know, being a mother takes so much strength. It takes so much strength to be a mother, and it's it, it it's hard to be a mother. And I, I think that birth is designed so beautifully, actually, because when you give birth to your baby, you feel strong. You feel so mm-hmm. strong. I mean, I still... My my youngest baby is 18 months old, and I take so much strength from the way that he was born every single day of my life. And I need that strength to be a mother. I, it, you know, no matter what, you're going to have challenges when you're when you're a parent. And um, I just believe that, you know, again, I want to be careful. I'm not trying to say that there's a right or a wrong way to birth your baby, but I so want that for every woman. I want every woman to feel that she is as powerful as she is because man. Mm-hmm. Women are so, so powerful. We really are. Well, and it really touches on kind of the essence of birth work and and the whole 
kind of, I think, reason that we're all so obsessed with it is, you know, that when a woman, you know, the spectrum of birth, of trauma to victory is quite wide. And lots of births have elements of both. You know, lots of births have, when I hear the stories or when I witness birth, they have these like parts where they felt violated or, or assaulted or, you know, made fun of or ridiculed or something happened without their consent. And then there's other parts of the story where they pushed that baby out or they said no to that. And it's like this, you know, very common to have this mixture. But so the spectrum is very wide. But at the end of the day, the like you just named, the women who are left destroyed after birth and and assaulted and traumatized and doubting in their body and you know, whether they were lied to or, or, or what, you know, the, the women who are left destroyed, that determines their postpartum period and, and beyond. And it hugely affects their relationship to their baby and their partner and their family and their community and their next baby. You know, it goes on forever. And the women who are left powerful and, you know, strong and, and grateful and they felt respected and supported and, and, you know, all of that, like we can see it as birth workers, what that does to to the postpartum period, to the relationship with the partner, to the relationship to the baby, to the success of breastfeeding. You know, it, it's all like so obvious when you see a lot of births that go a lot of different ways. And I think it's really right. the essence of why birth workers do what they do and why, you know, and why we're all so obsessed with this because yeah. it is we can't afford to not try to tilt the odds in the favor of a woman feeling great. We can't afford, Absolutely. you know, to do it. Absolutely. To, yes. to like act like that isn't important. Yes. I'm nodding my head in agreement with everything <laughs> that you said. Um, you said it beautifully. Absolutely. <sighs> well, I love this so much. I'm so grateful for your sharing and I know that it will inspire, you know, other women and, you know, a large reason why I'm doing this podcast is even if one woman somewhere in the world, you know, hears this one podcast and the little seed gets planted, you know, if everyone in her community and her doctor are filling her with fear and telling her that it's just too dangerous or whatever, if if one woman can hear this story and, and know that there is choice beyond what is, is being presented to her and, and, you know, can turn to this story for connection and, and sisterhood, I, I, we will have done our job. Yeah, I you know, I very well could have been that one woman for the story that my prenatal yoga teacher mm-hmm. told. I mean, that's she's the reason that I even knew it was possible. So that's what that's the exact same reason why I'm sharing my story and thank you so much for letting me tell it on your podcast. Oh, thank you. All righty. Well, have a wonderful day. Thank you for sharing. All right. Thank you too. Take care. Bye. That's it for today, everyone. Join us next week for another episode of the Free Birth Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your body, your choice. Lots of love.